This is VC Projects Podcast, Episode 6, Art and Spirituality, and my guest today is Shane Gafog. Shane Gafog is an American artist who looks through the lens of humanity at civilizations, both past and present, and views time as threads that connect to all people. His work is a visual language that is informed by the spiritualism of abstraction and the real realism of the old masters. These two ideas are usually seen as separate, but Gufog fuses them seamlessly into works that transcend and become testaments to thoughts that inform us of who we are in the 21st century. Shane, thank you so much for joining me. Good morning. We're, we're back in the guest house at the ranch. We are. Coffee has been consumed. <laughs> like, that is the ritual. Yes, eggs and bacon, hash browns, coffee. Here we are, ready to, ready to wade into the uh, the pond of the universe. Right. Our our topic of discussion today, um, conversation about art, is going to be art and spirituality, and and we've written a lot about this um, in your newsletters and on your blog, and I thought it would be really. We both thought it would be really nice to kind of share this in a podcast and, and have an open discussion about it again. Well, we can try. <laughs> I don't I don't know what it is. When I write, it's like I'm downloading everything out of my brain onto paper and then my brain gets filled up with other things. So now I have to access that part of my brain that's already been deleted. Mm-hmm. But I'll try. Okay. All right. Well, you know, looking at your... Even in the guest house, we have a really, really nice exhibition of works of artists that are your friends on view, but there are also some of your paintings, some newer, some early. And I think the common thread in your work is spirituality. It's it's in every series. It touches every series that you've created. And um, a few weeks ago, we found your your essay proposal to get into Cal Arts, and yes. it was like you wrote it yesterday. It was still based on ancient civilizations, spirituality, and uh, spirituality, and you know humanity. It was based on humanity. It was it was fun for me to read it because a I wrote it in pencil, <laughs> and wrote it in pencil, <clears throat> and I think that's what I actually sent in. And what year was this? Oh, 19... 1983. Mm-hmm with a set of slides um, explaining my interests and what I was doing. And that I wanted colors to delve into emotions. You know, that's mm-hmm. kind of a cliche thing to say. But I also wanted to delve into the idea of time and space, mm-hmm. and which is abstract. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was making figurative work at the time. Mm-hmm. So that's what I submitted. I, I can't remember exactly what I wrote, but you know, it was not bad. Um, but, and I, here's the thing I like to do, how I like to think about it, maybe mm-hmm. let's put it in a different perspective, okay. is that when I'm painting, when I'm really, really in the depths of it, you know, where mm-hmm. time has stopped for me and I'm just purely in that moment. I feel like I'm dipping my toes into the pond of the universe. Mm-hmm. And and by that I mean that I am no longer 
so concerned about my own physicality um, in this place called Earth, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm connected to something much, much bigger than myself. Mm -hmm. And that's what's coming through me into the work. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and so spirituality to me is a very abstract idea because it's something that's non-tangible, mm -hmm. really, you know? Yeah. And when we think about, for instance, you know, science tells us that the universe is infinite. Well, infinite means that it has no beginning and it has no end. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the ancient uh, religions say that God or Allah or whatever name um, this idea has, again, is like in the Old Testament, it's yesterday, God is yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God is infinite. God knows all things. God is um, omnipresent and omnipotent. Well, that is something that's almost nearly impossible to wrap our heads around. Mm -hmm. We can't imagine what it means to be without time. Mm -hmm. We can't imagine that something does not have a beginning or an end because we live in this physical body which has a beginning and an end. I think we're reminded daily as we age. Sure. And so we have a, you know, we have a shelf life. We're born with a shelf life. So we have an expiration date and it's genetically coded into our, ourselves that we will have an ex, uh, exit date, right? Mm -hmm. um, for whatever the reasons are. But <clears throat> so that's something that is tangible mm -hmm. because we see it. We feel it. We experience this moment of uh, getting this transition mm -hmm. of getting older, of, of our body starting to ache, things not working, um, you know, having to go to the doctor more often, so on and so forth. And it doesn't, I mean, it may help if you're exercise, it may help if you're eating the good foods and so on and so forth. You'll certainly feel better, but it's not going to ultimately stop the inevitable. Right. So when we think of the idea of concept of say god all-knowing god is everything everywhere what does that mean how how can we our brains take that in well i know from talking to you that you know we're in strathmore so you, you grew up in this bible belt yeah right is that is that right to say bible belt and I know when I drive up here, most of the radio stations are preaching. Yeah. And and you had you know you you've done your time in Bible school research and stuff like that because it's like okay you know these are interesting stories that are being told and yeah. and um, you know the Book of Genesis is a fascinating story mm -hmm. um, that has been sort of abstracted in a way so that we can comprehend it. Mm -hmm. And so therefore then religion becomes like a construct that's made mm -hmm. so that we can understand spirituality, mm -hmm. right? Because if we're, if spirituality is about everything mm -hmm. and the interconnectedness of everything and the, the sense of timelessness, mm -hmm. but yet we ourselves are not that. Unless we are thinking about energy. And energy is a constant in the universe. Energy can never 
die. Mm -hmm. Energy just is. And so it is that energy that I feel that I'm tapping into mm -hmm. when I paint. Mm, yeah. And it becomes almost like a transcendental moment for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and just a simple act of moving my brush across the canvas that's loaded up with some paint, and I'm watching the brush move. And it's as if that brush is is moving time and space. Yeah. Yeah. I know when I first started working with you a long time ago, when I wasn't even really working with you, but we were... Mm-hmm doing some projects together. Um, and I remember you saying, well, you can't be in here when I paint. Right. And I was like, yeah, no problem. And then <laughs> maybe a couple years later went by and you said, okay, you can be in here when I paint now, just for a little while. And then you have to leave. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I respected that. This was a sacred space. It's a sacred space. It's a sacred mindset mm -hmm. that I'm able to access pretty readily, thankfully. Um, and I mean, I've had times when, like, if I'm too tired or I got too much on my mind, I go into my studio and I'm not able to access that. Yeah. And then it is humbling for me and it's kind of scary that mm -hmm. it's not that accessible to me. Yeah, in moments imagine. like that, imagine, you know, yeah, it's like it's like if you went to get in your car and suddenly you forgot how to drive. Right, right. I think every artist probably has that fear, mm -hmm. or every um, you know musician or somebody who works with their voice mm -hmm. has that sure. fear. Sure, you know, sure. Um, like Linda Ronstadt lost her voice. Yeah, um, Joan Joni Mitchell lost her voice mm -hmm. yeah but <clears throat> it, anyway so back to the whole process in spirituality spirituality is is the the it's the undefinable i'm really tickled right now you can't see what i'm looking at we're in the guest house but i'm going to share with the viewer behind me is a stained glass window that you made yeah that's at the top of the space and the kitchen, yeah. The kitchen and certain types of day, the light shines through and it, it glows on everything. And it's like of a it's a, a moving painting. It's like a sun or a moon or yeah. something. And and you placed it there really importantly. Um, to my to my left is a pain an early painting you did of a still life mm -hmm. of um, an orange and a bottle of wine and a bell and this sort of European stein it's a beer stein yeah beer yeah. stein i was gonna say um and it's 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 kind of it's really interesting between like a mirandi and a saison and uh i'm not sure I, i'm not sure and, <laughs> and so and then straight ahead i have this gorgeous painting that i love um and it's a table with an egg on its side within the structure of a house and then an A-frame house. A-frame house. But like a little a little log cabin, little toy house sitting on a tabletop. Uh-huh. And there's there's all these beautiful shadows and there you have your egg and in the background is uh, a master's painting like Rembrandt did of um, a mm. barn scene or a cattle area or, or something. It's it's a painting by um uh, it's a Dutch artist, I think it's Roosdal. 
um, and I actually saw it in Amsterdam in uh, 1980 when I was there. And so that particular painting is from my memory series. And mm -hmm. those that series came about when um, I went to do an internship in New York City in 1985 through CalArts and being coming from California and coming from Central California where it's flat farmland mm -hmm. and you can see the horizon, mm -hmm. you know, um, and then you see, I have the Sierra mountains to the east of me, mm -hmm. um, open fields to the west of me. <clears throat> and when I went to New York city, all that disappeared and I could only see buildings. Yeah. And I got very claustrophobic mm -hmm. when I was first there. Mm -hmm. And it seemed like an unnatural way to live. Yeah. Didn't make sense to me. And so I had this realization of where I was from and, and the impact that the landscape had on me. Mm -hmm. So then I started remembering things about my childhood mm -hmm. and where I grew up and how I grew up. And that got me thinking about memories and how we store memories. And that as time goes on, it's almost like your computer. As time goes on, these memories get stacked up and they begin to sort of crunch into one another mm -hmm. and, and create new memories of memories. Mm -hmm. So that was a series I decided to do at that time, my memory series. Mm -hmm. So that's one of those paintings. Yeah, and, and, then, and then straight ahead, we have an, we have an early pattern painting, pattern painting yeah. with the... the ribbons um ribbons and the veils of light that are cascading down the surface and every mm. one of these paintings that i'm looking at and the stained glass behind me there's a sense of spirituality on some level that you can't necessarily pinpoint but it's capturing that 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 moment mm. what is that moment i don't know <laughs> I, I'm, I'm hoping you'll 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 tell me the moment that you're alive, the moment that um, you exist with the rest of the world. Um, the egg for sure sends a message. And you said that you were painting eggs because that was something that students had to do. In the Renaissance period, yeah. They had to draw eggs and draw them without lines, only shadows and, and light. <clears throat> um, and it's a way of seeing form, of learning how to see. Mm -hmm. form mm -hmm. because if if you're drawing an egg that's sitting in front of you your mind is telling you what the shape is and you draw that shape mm -hmm. whereas if you're seeing it with your eyes only and you're translating that into light and dark then it becomes something totally different right mm -hmm. um so yeah all those things are rumbling around in my head but uh, you know back to the idea of spirituality as i as, you know, there was a thing that happened to me when I was 22 years old. And I was sitting on a beach in Greece mm -hmm. on the island of Paros. And I'd been sitting there all day long and the sun was setting and everybody had gone in from the beach because it was starting to get cold. And I was watching the sun just start to dip down into the sea. Mm -hmm. And suddenly it was like my third eye opened up. Mm. And... In my mind's eye, I saw the Big Bang, I saw the creation of the universe, the creation of solar systems, the creation of this solar system, the creation of our sun, the planets, mm -hmm. um, the planet hitting another planet that created the asteroid belt, the beginning of life on this planet, mm -hmm. 
mm -hmm. um, with the vegetation, so on and so forth. I, and it was all happening within a matter of seconds, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And then I realized what was going on, that something had unlocked in my brain mm -hmm. where everything was at that moment. Mm -hmm. Everything that has ever been was, mm -hmm. and I was experiencing it. And it was happening so fast. And then when I acknowledged it, it stopped. And it was a deep, profound moment for me. And then I started thinking about the ancient scripts and the holy people that were written about. And I thought, I wonder if those people had the ability to access what I just experienced. If they were able to access, access that through meditation, through their lifestyle, through prayer, whatever, psychedelic drugs, who knows what. Um, but I wonder if they were able to access it. And that's what made them, quote unquote, holy, that they could see things. They understood things on a much deeper level. Like, in, like reaching enlightenment. Yes. And <clears throat> so then that got me rethinking art. Well, then what is the purpose of art? Maybe the purpose of art is to become almost like a portal of sorts to take the viewer into that moment or into to access the doorway to have the the option to experience something mm -hmm. beyond the moment we're living in, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And connect those worlds, connect those moments. Mm -hmm. And so that, again, then becomes a, a moment of transcendence. Mm -hmm. And so I started really rethinking what art was going to be to me. And that I wanted to, and then since, since that particular day, I'd had, I had that experience like four more times. In Greece? Uh, in Greece and in, in out here and in New York. Mm -hmm. um, for some odd reason, it's like something had opened up in my brain. And it wasn't through drugs or nothing like that. Mm -hmm. I think it was because I had a stillness within me yeah. that was allowing that, mm -hmm. that freedom, that passageway to open up. And since, you know, and, and now I experience a very similar thing when I paint, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense at all. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you something different. Uh -oh. Um, Because we, because we've been writing about, you know, different self-portraits and things like that. Uh-huh. And I, I've been studying Francis Bacon's crucifixion painting. Mm-hmm. And he said it wasn't about religion. Mm-hmm. And what do you think of that? What do you think about that? What do you think? His statement or those paintings? Both. Both? I think that what, what Francis Bacon was about was... It, there's an existential angst, you know, that his work embodies and it was due to his personal life, mm -hmm. um, you know, being, being a homosexual and being his father catching him with somebody when he was a teenager Yeah, and his father beating him and he runs away. Um, and then the lifestyle that he then continued to live mm -hmm. <clears throat> and he was a very, um, he lived a very dangerous life mm -hmm. and it, it made him, it, it excited him mm -hmm. to be beaten up, to entice violence in people. 
Well, I, I mean, I, I do know boxers that feel like every time they get beat up, they get closer to God. There, yeah. So it's almost like the uh, self-flagellation thing, you know, where you whip yourself to be, uh, to become close, closer to God. But um, also, you have to remember at that time, you know, he was coming off of World War II, mm-hmm. um, and the horrors of that war. You, we can see it in Giacometti sculpture with the elongated figures. Mm-hmm that look like concentration camp mm-hmm. victims, um, you know, that, and Bacon's screaming Pope. Mm-hmm. Is it about Catholicism? Is it about um, the animalistic nature within all of us? Primal. And I, the primal nature. And I think that those three figures at the base of the crucifix that he painted so early on are... They were surely inspired by... Picasso, he said that. Right. They, of course, they are his own statement. Right. They are inspired by Picasso. They are also inspired by um, the German Renaissance painter. Um, ah, his name will come to me in a second. Where the you know the Christ figure that's on the cross is, the ribs are protruding out. The body is decaying. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't. Uh, what the heck's his name? He doesn't paint the figure. Um, as if it was just placed on a cross, he paints the figure in a a mental state of decay, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That has become the physical state. And so Bacon does the same thing, very similar thing. And so here we have these these animal shapes and forms that are part human, part animal. Um, almost that have been created up from the reptilian part of the human brain. Mm-hmm. And they can't see, they can't hear, mm-hmm. they can't feel. Mm-hmm. All they can do is scream. Mm-hmm. And so that scream is something I think that was maybe part of the psyche of Europe at that time. Yeah. Because of World War II and the atrocities yeah. of that war. Yeah. Um, I think it's a really, those paintings to me are like a portrait of the human psyche from that era. Is it, but back to our, our conversation on art and spirituality, Mm -hmm. I find them to be very spiritual Mm. in another way. Well, I, and I think that, you know, my approach to the painting and his approach to the painting are very, very different. Right. Yeah, completely. And he says his work is based on accidents. Based on accidents because he would take canvases, gesso canvases, and stretch them backwards, right? So that the raw canvas would be showing. That's what he would paint on. And he liked the tooth of the canvas. And so when he would do these brushstrokes, they were quick. And, and the paint would catch into the threads and build up a surface. So it's not something he could go back in and repaint and repaint and repaint and, and nuance mm-hmm. like I do. Yeah. So there's a completely separate, totally opposite approach to painting. That doesn't mean that, so my, and my approach is more about getting into that, that place within the, the mind uh, yeah, that I, mean, I was he, discussing. Yeah. He said, you know, he, he for him in his, in his interview with, um, he said, you know, you can get there through drink, drug, or will. And I think you get there by will. Mm-hmm. He was not able to do that. Right. No, he wasn't. And and 
but because his work is not about necessarily what we physically see, it becomes about the spirit mm -hmm. of the essence of something. Mm -hmm. And he often, you know, would portray the human flesh as something that was decaying or even an illusion mm -hmm. that maybe is not really there, mm -hmm. you know, and that this moment of life is transitory. Mm -hmm. We're just, we're here for just a short stop, like a bus stop, mm -hmm. as our soul is mm -hmm. on a journey. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for explaining, you know, sharing that. Back to, back to your work <clears throat> and, and series that you've worked on, um, the pattern series, again, the painting is just looking straight at me. You've got so many layers and light and you've got your flight pattern series mm -hmm. that you've done. Um, of course, the superior, you know, all of them. Is there one series that you find is more, um, I mean, I, I can't imagine you consider yourself, oh, I'm a spiritual painter. You know, you go to a party. I, I'm a spiritual <laughs> painter. What do you do for a living? I'm well, a... I'm a spiritual painter. <laughs> but but it but it's there. Is is there one mm. body of work that you feel like you are really, really in search or defining that sort of essence of moment of of existence? I, yeah, I think, to, well, I think the beginning of that uh, what you're talking about, where I really started drilling down into that idea and that the essence of something was probably the Kanak series and the Avalon series, mm -hmm. which, you know, was the, um, became these pattern series. And the patterns were, I'll just briefly describe them. So I've got a big canvas in front of me. I load up a brush. I make a gesture using the whole, my whole body. And because I wanted to make figurative paintings, but I didn't want to paint the human form. Mm -hmm. So how do I make a figurative painting without painting the form? Right. Then I realized that, well, my body, the action of my body becomes the figurative part of that ingredient. That's really interesting. So therefore, if I'm making these swooping gestures mm -hmm. with my arm and all of my physicality, Mm -hmm. And it's not pre-described what I'm going to do. I haven't made sketches about it. I'm just in that moment. And I make these, these marks um, that become almost calligraphic in nature, almost like a, an unspoken uh, letter to an alphabet. Mm -hmm. And then I would, um, that moment happens very, very quickly. And then I would sit down and do a drawing of that moment. Mm. Mm -hmm. So the subconscious now, I'm consciously replicating a subconscious moment. Mm -hmm. And then I decide how many times I wanted the pattern to be replicated across the surface. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes it was either 100 or 144. So 10 across and 10 down or 12 across and 12 down. And then I would measure out how big the drawing needed to be to, to allow that to happen, right? And then I would, I would take a drawing... I would take a piece of paper again and, and redo that drawing to that format, mm -hmm. to that size. Mm -hmm. And I would take it and fold it in half, fold it on itself. So now I have two pieces of paper and then with a little exacto knife, I would cut it out. Mm -hmm. So then that becomes my template. Mm -hmm. 
Then I would go on back to the canvas and I would mark the corner where each, each corner where that template was going to sit with a little piece of chalk. So now I've got this whole thing gridded out. Mm -hmm. And then I would start on the upper left-hand corner and start doing the, uh, the pattern across going from left to right, left to right, left to right, as if it's the way that we write, mm -hmm. the way that we read. Mm-hmm. Until the whole thing was covered. Mm -hmm. So then suddenly the subconscious moment is creating its own consciousness. And I realized that the conscious pattern could never exist without the subconscious moment. Mm. So it becomes a way of looking at how our minds work. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, so that was a really interesting series for me to do. And I think I did them for about 10 years mm -hmm. and different variations. Um, and they were labor intensive. I can't begin to tell you. Well, I'm looking at one straight ahead and I can see like everything that you described. Do you feel looking back on it now, you know, so, so many years have passed mm -hmm. that all those stages of structure and numbers mm -hmm. were necessary they were necess necessary for me at that time in my life because you, had, it, you needed that structure i needed that structure and it was a way for me to impose order over chaos yeah because there was a lot of chaos going on in my personal life mm -hmm. um and and i had i really it was like how do i how do I make sense out of all this? You know, so I knew that, you know, we all have patterns. Like we get up in the morning, the way we brush our teeth, the way we put our clothes on, we do it pretty much the same way each day. Mm -hmm. And so that creates a pattern. If we could, if we could um, do a time lapse of ourselves moving around the house, you would probably see that we follow the same patterns and, mm -hmm. and that, and that creates an image, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And it's almost like again, like a calligraphic movement, like a, like a, um, a, a form of letters mm -hmm. coming from the subconscious mind. So <clears throat> I just decided to see if I could get that outside of me, to physically look at what my patterns were, and where they were coming from. Because I can't change my life if I don't know what my patterns are. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and there was at that time, I felt like there was an, almost this invisible thing that was stopping me from getting deeper into my artistic language that mm -hmm. I wanted to achieve. Mm -hmm. It was also stopping me from achieving the level of success that I felt was there for me. Mm -hmm. There was like this invisible force field. And I couldn't figure out what it was. Mm. And um, so part of that was to those patterns were to reveal to myself mm. what my subconscious mind is doing and how that's manifesting in my life and on a conscious level. Mm -hmm. So it was a way of creating my own sort of um, autobiographical alphabet. Yeah. Yeah. So that became, I think that, you know, that's a very heady um, approach to painting. 
it you know it's a very conceptualized approach to making a figurative painting that becomes abstract but some people need that i needed it you know and at the time i was showing um uh i think i don't remember what gallery leslie Sachs or something like that and uh you know and the the dealers there they got that work and it was like you know blew their minds and that was great but they had a hard time um selling those particular paintings to their clients because it was too big of an idea mm -hmm. you know it was too intellectual it was too conceptual mm -hmm. and and i said yeah but there's still a beauty and harmony and tranquility i love them within these works yeah you just you feel so you just you feel something when yeah. you look at them. And they, you know, and they bridge this kind of cultural spance between the Eastern and Western worlds. Mm -hmm. um, they're, if not knowing if I was an American artist and you look at these, those paintings, you would think I was probably from the Middle East. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, they're, they're arabesque, they're calligraphic in nature. Mm -hmm. but, but there's also like hints of Mark Rothko in there. Yeah, for sure. You know, and the, the veils. And the veils and the, yeah. Not and the, not obvious, but, not but obvious. there's a there's no. a subconscious moment from yeah. those veils that, that sort of Yeah. You can soak up as yeah. a viewer. Yes, I think so. And it I thought they were a very, very successful body of work. Mm -hmm. Um the last one I did of the, the pattern series was called Ocean. And it was a large painting with red movements. And then what I started doing towards the end of that series is, so I would do these calligraphic movements, very subconscious moment, and then I would photograph them mm -hmm. and push them through, through Photoshop because we often see our world through a mechanical lens, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. through, through the computer screen or through a magazine or through a television. And we're not seeing it firsthand. Mm -hmm. So what would my subconscious look like if I pushed it through Photoshop and I um, made the darks darker and the lights lighter? And so it started fragmenting mm -hmm. these moments, which I would then size and then print out and then use my X-Acto knife to cut those things out. And that became the, the last series of group of that series. And the last painting I did is called Ocean. And it was this red undercurrent with blues floating, blue patterns floating across the top. Yeah, I know the painting. I haven't seen it in person, but I've seen it in a book. Yeah, thank it's, you. It's, it's like a, it's, remarkable. It was really, I thought, I was very happy with that painting. And I remember, and I was on a deadline and I had a show opening coming up and I had like a week to get this thing done mm -hmm. and I was two thirds of the way through and I'm sitting on a stool painting these little patterns and um, my back went out mm. just spasmed and I just fell to the floor I couldn't I couldn't hardly breathe wow yeah and my muscles just just locked up on me mm -hmm. and I got the painting done in time I had to take a couple of days off yeah um, and then it ended up going to the um, embassy in Washington DC for the United Arab Emirates and mm -hmm. and it was a perfect fit for that yeah you know yeah because again it is so here you have the arabic uh embassy ambassador from 
the um, uh, Arabic nations. Yeah. The, the seven nations. And he's stationed in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. And so he has this embassy that he now needs to buy art for. Right. Um, and there's all these presentations made to him through different art consultants. And sure. so that painting became the centerpiece for the collection Aww. that he bought, which makes a lot of sense because yeah. it's in D.C., which is the West, and he's an ambassador from the East, yeah. the Middle East. Yeah. So it was a perfect, it, it's like, okay, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing here. Yeah. That yeah. was the last one I did. Okay. And after that, it's like, some things happened in uh, my personal life and um, and I had Pharmaca and I was on these boards and committees and um, my marriage was unraveling and and I just woke up one morning and said, I'm done. I'm going to shut down the gallery, Pharmaca gallery. I'm going to resign from all the boards and committees that I was on and I'm just going to refocus on my paintings. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have a need to make patterns anymore. Mm -hmm. It just left me. That's good. Yeah, I woke up one day and it was gone. Wow. I thought, okay. You know, you have to honor that. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, anyway. We're, we're winding down, but yes, I, I, I do have to mention one thing. Uh-oh. And that is, <laughs> you told me once that a doctor asked you to write some script. Yes. Well, uh, this doctor um, who had been a... Um, and it's, it was a different script. But... Well, the doctor was, had, he had studied with um, some Tibetan monks mm -hmm. for like 10 years or something like that. And he was also a Jungian psychologist. Mm -hmm. And um, we were talking and he asked me to close my eyes and place myself somewhere. So I did. And I found myself in Rembrandt's studio at Rem the tail end of Rembrandt's life. Wow. That's... Now, I had never been there in real life, but I found myself in that space. And yeah. the windows were high up, and it was a dark room. But there was a a writing, a, a, a letter, a symbol was on the wall. And mm -hmm. I Rembrandt wasn't there. And I told him, I said, there's a symbol on the wall. And, and he said, um, can you write it for me? And he had me a piece of paper. And so I, I drew it out for him. And he said, can you make the sound? What, what does that symbol sound like to you? So I made the sound. And um, he just, his mouth dropped open. And he said, this is amazing because this is a, it's a letter from the Sanskrit alphabet. And you just made the sound of that word, of that letter, of how it's mm -hmm. pronounced. Mm -hmm. Did you study Sanskrit? And I said, no. He said, how did you know this? And I said, I, I don't. I did I don't know how. I don't know. And he said, you're tapped into something very deep. Wow. Wow. And I said, okay. Is that good or bad? <laughs> and he said, well, it's good, but it comes with a responsibility. There we have it. Yeah. So, and it does have a responsibility. Anyway, we've gone on long enough. All right. Well, thank you for your time and a wonderful conversation about art and spirituality. And I feel there'll be a part two. Oh, I'm sure. Goodness gracious. As long as there's coffee, there'll be a part two. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay. Ciao. Ciao.